This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Before the birth of Christianity, Europe and the Near East flourished under the divine guidance of Sophia, the ancient goddess of wisdom embodied in the earth. This ancient philosophy, though, became a threat to Christianity as the upstart religion emerged, basing its creed on dominion over the earth and personal suffering as a path path to the afterlife. Basing much of his new book, Not in His Image, on the Naj Hammadi and other Gnostic writings, John Lamb Lash shows how a little-known messianic sect propelled itself into a dominant world power, systematically wiping out the great Gnostic spiritual leaders. Lash is an exponent of the practice of mythology. He is principal author of the Marian Institute's website and is author of a number of books, including The Seeker's Handbook, Twins in the Double, and The Hero. John Lamb Lash, welcome to Weekly Signals. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's good to be here. Uh, it's nice to have you with us. Uh, now, you're in uh, Brussels? Yeah, I'm in Belgium, near uh, Brussels. Uh-huh. What's, what's it like there right now? Well, it's uh, kind of, we had an Indian summer. It's getting a bit cool. Yeah. Is that normal for this time of year? No, we're having a lot of climate changes here. Uh, wow. The Earth is certainly, uh, she's uh, certainly changing her moods very rapidly. Yes. <laughs> and the seasons are kind of all out of skew, and it's much warmer than it usually is. Now, what what uh, brought you to write Not in His Image? Was there a moment where you said you, you had to do some research as far as the Gnostic writings go, or is this a lifelong project that's just coming to fruition? Well, thank you for that question. It really goes to the heart of my book. Yeah. Uh, it is a lifelong project. Uh, as I explained in the introduction, uh, I grew up in a small town in Maine in what could be considered to be uh, a fundamentalist community, although a more or less uh, benign one in certain respects. And um, at an early age, around 16 or 17, I was uh, viscerally seized by the sense that there was something essentially wrong with the belief system that I was being, uh, you know, invited to join or was being imposed on me. So around that time, as I explained, uh, I encountered the works of Nietzsche and so forth. I decided that I had to look into this and uh, the result uh, of some, uh, you know, 40 years later, really, is this book. Mm-hmm. Where, where did you do most of the research in getting to the book? Well, I've uh, lived a long time uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, and uh, I guess I could say that I started the serious research on the Gnostic materials uh, during the 70s in Santa Fe. So that would be about mid-70s, about 30 years ago. But since I've been living in Europe for the last 10 years, I've dedicated my time to researching those materials more intensively. Um, that requires going to the original documents, looking at the Coptic language, and so forth. And fortunately, here in Europe, there are some major libraries for that kind of research. Now, just for our listeners, could you give us a, just a definition? What's your definition of Gnosticism? Well, my definition of Gnosticism, the word simply means knowing, uh, knowledge, but it... it uh, implies a special kind of knowledge. So I would ask, how is this Gnostic knowledge special? And uh, my answer would be indicated by uh, what you said in that excellent brief introduction, that in pre-Christian times in Europe, 
there was an awareness of the intelligence of the earth, and the earth was regarded as a goddess who was called Sophia, which is my pronunciation to kind of distinguish it from a woman's name, Sophia. Okay. And this god, the name Sophia actually means wisdom. And so the Gnostics were those people who were uh, shamans, teachers, religious leaders, if you will, religious teachers, and also teachers of culture and the arts, who were in intimate contact with this intelligence of the earth. So Gnosis really represents a connection with the earth that was broken 2,000 years ago with the rise of Christianity, and we're now trying to recapture that in certain ways. Now, what would you say, what part of Christianity broke the uh, tradition of, of being in touch? Well, you know, uh, my book is, is a critique of Christianity, but I want to make it clear to people who are listening in that uh, when I take a stand against Christianity, I'm not uh, opposing love, brotherhood, kindness to other people, uh, compassion, or anything of that sort. I'm not, I'm not opposing any of those virtues which uh, are claimed to be Christian virtues. What specifically I am uh, addressing in the book is the problem of salvationism. Mm-hmm. And salvationism is a, is a belief system that consists of certain key elements, which are creation of the world by a, a Father God, without a goddess involved. There is no goddess in the salvationist beliefs. Uh, A messiah figure, a superhuman messiah figure, a savior. Uh, The retribution, God's retribution uh, against the world for its sins, and the concept of the chosen people, and also the concept that you mentioned in your introduction, the notion that suffering is good for us in some way, that it is God's way of testing us or proving that we are His people. Now, those beliefs are essentially the core of this salvationist system, and that's what I'm looking at critically in my book. Now, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to ask you, um, the the discussion of the Gnostic Gospels, Mm -hmm. how does that play into what we're talking about? Well, it's very curious what's happened with the Gnostic Gospels. I don't know how many of you, uh, your listeners would be even familiar with this term, but I think a lot of them would be, because there was a huge documentary, two big documentaries that came out, and I know they were shown widely in the United States, about the Gnostics, mainly in connection with the Mary Magdalene thing, you know, the Da Vinci Was this thing. work uh, related to Elaine Pagel's work? Was That's it? right. Okay. Elaine Pagels in 1979, published a book called The Gnostic Gospels, and this book was primarily the main introduction by the public. It was for the mainstream, and it was an introduction to these 52 very difficult documents that were found buried in a jar in Egypt in December 1945. Now, the, there are many things that could be said about the Gnostic Gospels, but the, the, the key point, I believe, that the public needs to know, that the public does not yet know, is that these so-called Gnostic Gospels term Pagels chose for her title, are really not Gospels at all. And it actually was misleading to compare them to Gospels, to the four Gospels of the New Testament, In, because that implies that they're kind of like alternative versions of the story of Jesus, or they may have been outtakes, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. versions of the Gospels that were left out. Well, this is not at all the case. As a matter of fact, the main message in these materials is against Christianity and against Judaism, again, I, I, I uh, add the caveat, not against 
the, 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 the virtues of compassion and kindness, but against the, the salvationist beliefs. And so the Gnostics were actually uh, spiritual masters of their own time and setting, who had a long tradition behind them. And when this religion, this new religion of Christianity, arose about 2,000 years ago, they came forth and they said, essentially, hold on, folks. This may not be such a good thing. So they were the conservatives of their age, in a way. Yeah, they, were, they were trying to hold on the con- to the uh, tradition of that particular point in time. Profoundly but, conservative. Yeah. They, had a, they had at least a thousand years of literacy that is writing and teaching behind them, and they had several thousand years of deeper spiritual work rooted in paganism, in the, in the Druid cults, in the whole spirituality of Europe before Christianity. So, so this was a widespread. Uh, um, this this belief system was widely held around the around the well. I'll call it the known world. How how extensive was the uh, the influence of the religion? I call it the network of the the mysteries. Okay. Uh, the mysteries were the the spiritual training schools, as it were. The network of the mysteries was vast. It extended from uh, Scotland and Ireland down to Spain, all across Europe, and, and deeply into Asia. It was, a, uh, it was a vast network. You might compare it today to kind of the university system, you know, in the United States that spreads all the way from the universities in the East to the universities in the West. And the Gnostics were also involved in a kind of university system. They were teachers as well as spiritual uh, leaders. And they had a... They had a sort of a core set of beliefs that the they Earth did was, indeed. Yeah, okay, they, they were. I show in my book that they were united, even though each of the schools in the various areas were regionally oriented to the people of that area and to the culture and language and so forth. The the total Gnostic movement, which is very ancient, and and some scholars are beginning to admit this now, were united by the vision of Sophia, the Great Mother, or the Magna Mater. Right. They were actually, they based their whole view of life and their whole view of civilization on this goddess figure. And what Christianity did was when it came in, it just didn't gently replace this uh, Sophianic religion. It just didn't say, well, we, we believe in Jesus and we think his way is better, and so why don't you look at this? Christianity forcefully and violently destroyed this tradition of Gnosticism. It, was that a result of? I'm going to. There was there some particular event, a political event, a sort of a social event that caused that it to push the uh, the Gnostic vision out of the uh, out of the way. Was it was it a war? Was what was it that that really precipitated the decline of the Gnostic visions? Well, that's a, that's a great question, and uh, your thinking really follows very closely here the argument of my book. You know, I also write for this website, metahistory.org, for the Marian Institute, and it's actually working for the website for the last few years has brought me to the point of writing this book. The answer to your question is, no, there was not a particular event. What drove the destruction, what compelled the destruction of this beautiful and profound spiritual tradition was beliefs. The beliefs that were held in early Christianity and the beliefs that are still held today by many Jewish and Christian people contain the germ of genocidal and ecocidal impulses. Uh, And those were acted out brutally against the ancient world when Christianity came to power about in the 3rd century A.D. when it was adopted as the official religion of the Roman Empire. 
Can you explain that a little bit more? How uh, And by the way, we are speaking with John Lamb Lash. He's the uh, author of Not In His Image. Uh, can you explain that a little bit more, how uh, you're saying that Christianity contains uh, the seeds of genocide, I think is what you're saying. Is that pretty well an accurate... For this particular vision of... Yeah, sure. Yeah, no. Sure. I know that's a very disturbing thing to say, and I don't uh, expect people to take it on faith uh, or to believe me. Uh, but I would ask that they don't dismiss me either, and they look at the argument carefully. Um, I'll answer it as briefly as I can in two ways. First of all, historically, as I explain in part one of my book, it's very important to understand for people, say, in the Christian tradition today, that Christianity did not just emerge in a kind of natural way out of Judaism. You know, we're normally taught, and I was brought up as a Christian too, that uh, Jesus was a Jewish uh, man. He was from the tradition of Judaism, but he kind of revol- revolted against his Judaism, and he, pr- he, he brought forth a message of love and uh, brotherly love that was more universal than the, than the Jewish view. And this is what we're usually taught. The idea is that Christianity kind of was a was a, a gentle or uh, slow metamorphosis of Judaism. Historically, that is not at all the fact. If you look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, which I also analyze in my book, you find that the germ of Christianity was in the, the teachings of a particular cult called the Zadikim. And this cult was like the, what was it in Waco, Texas, the Branch Davidians. Right, yeah. It was a very fanatical cult. In fact, it was a small splinter cult of Judaism that threatened even the Jews of its time. It was a, it was a cult that believed that they, would, they were the most righteous people in the world, and they would survive and be rescued by God when the moment of retribution came and the world was destroyed. So there is this whole spirit of hatred of humanity and annihilation in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's not my interpretation. Read them yourself. You'll see it. And that, historically, is the germ of Christianity as we know it today. Now, that doesn't mean that Christianity doesn't have other elements in it, but those, uh, but those elements of benign elements are actually overplayed by the dominator program that is in the belief system. I want to make this a, is my analysis. Uh, yeah, I want to make a point here, because it, it, I think it's an important, it is an important distinction. The Gnostics were were more interested in, I'll say, living in harmony with the earth as much as possible. And the Christians, and I don't want to overstate this, but the Christians were more about mastering the earth, mastering the resources, uh, as opposed to, the, uh, it's a completely different version. And a also, distinction, absolutely. And, and also yeah. the other thing is is that the ultimate, uh, the ultimate reward for Christians will come at the destruction of the earth. At the destruction of the earth. I use this term in the book, which comes from my analysis of the Dead Sea Scrolls, called annihilation theology. And annihilation theology is basically the belief system, uh, for instance, the belief in the rapture and so forth, in the chosen people. These are examples of annihilation theology. Essentially, they say, God created the earth, but God will destroy the earth so that the chos- his chosen people can survive in the afterlife. It's a very... It is... It's a very... Um... That's a very brutal vision, isn't it? It's a very brutal vision, and the Gnostics, who were connected with the Earth, who were totally dedicated to serving the Earth and understanding the intelligence of the goddess Sophia, which was their mythological name for the Earth, 
were extremely upset by the idea of a, of a male paternal deity who would be considered to be the owner of the world and who could dis- basically dispose of it at his will. Uh, they also objected to the idea, as my title indicates, that we are a privileged species made in the image of the Father God. They totally rejected that idea, and in my book I try to explain why, and I try to tell what their vision of humanity was. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. that I talk a lot about this problem in my book, as you probably know if you've yes. looked at it, but I also do talk solution. Okay. Yeah, well, let's get into that, yeah. because, you know, right now we're... I interpret the election here in the United States today is is almost a... Uh, <laughs> it comes close to what you're saying in your book. The, the president has been put in power by people who believe in the type of Christianity that, that you're talking about. That is they, the they, case, yes. You know, and and uh, although the opposition to that isn't Gnosticism, there is a little bit more of a... Uh, uh, ecological movement that's driving the opposition to the to our president right now um, indeed it's a very muted yeah. but it but at least it's there there's an there's an element in, in the opposition to these policies so you know, whether or not uh, we're we're successful in in uh, tempering his his uh, his vision the president's vision today what what do you suggest what are the solutions well, can how can we move forward to to uh, to get over a, an annihilation concept of the world and, and think about and celebrate the world instead. Well, and let me just take it one, the, the subtitle of the book is The Future of Belief. Let's try, and, right. and, try yes. and pull that That's in. right. Well, what I mean by the future of the belief is two things. First of all, I, I strongly am convinced that we cannot survive as a species, we cannot create a society worth living, we cannot deal with the pathology that we've created in society unless we shift our belief focus from an off-planet father deity to the divine presence of, of this Sophia. The earth is a divine presence and a divine nurturing power. This is what the Gnostics taught. And so the future of belief is belief in the earth, belief in our connection with the Sophia, the wisdom of the earth, and equally important, and the Gnostics taught this, belief in humanity itself. You see, one of the problems with these salvationist religions, like Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, which are all of the same root, as you know, is that they uh, make us believe that the focus of our power and the power that determines our destiny as a species is outside us, in an off-planet deity. And the Gnostics absolutely rejected this notion of an off-planet deity. So I think the best, uh, the best approach to take toward the future is to connect with the divinity of the earth and do this through deepening our sense of ecology and deepening uh, what is known as you know, the Gaia hypothesis, which I discuss a lot in, in the book as well. We're speaking with John Lash. He's the author of not in his image. Uh, where else can we go with this? Because I know that some people are, uh, I mean, most people, I would say, are reticent, if not downright angry when you talk in these terms. And, mm-hmm. and they look at, at what you're saying as being uh, mm-hmm. pie in the sky or Well, anti-Christian, even, I, mean, it's only, an, I mean, you can't even utter this kind of thing. In, in regular discourse in this country, right? right. Yeah. I mean, it must be very difficult for you to, to get much traction with, uh, with uh, I don't know how much time you've spent here in the United States talking about this, but mm-hmm. you must be meeting with some incredibly hostile 
reactions. Well, you know, you would think I would, but actually that's not the case. And I think there are maybe two reasons why. First of all, I think people may be ready to hear this message. They may be, it's not my personal message, by You're the right, way. Right, right. I have recovered and restored the Gnostic vision of the earth and humanity's connection with the earth, which is a sacred connection. And I think many, many people in their hearts and minds are longing to make that connection. So I find the response to what I'm saying uh, when I spoke just last uh, week in Massachusetts is extremely warm and extremely receptive. On the other hand, I'm not naive about this, but I will say that the problem in our society is that we have not yet reckoned with the, the fact that these fundamentalist beliefs may not be compatible with a free society. You know, I'm not attacking anyone. I'm talking about ideas and beliefs. I'm not attacking any Christians. I'm not, uh, you know, invoking violence against Christians. But when you go back and you look at the 2,000 years of history described in my book, you see that Christians have always been violent and that they have imposed their religion by violence. And there is no such program of violence in this Sophianic vision uh, that, I'm, uh, that I'm trying to bring forth here. So I think people, the human beings, if you put them against the wall, they will choose nonviolence rather than violence. So the response to what I'm saying has been very, very positive. Well, and also, we do now have the benefit of science. We have science we do. To, to, we do. To, that is the lantern, if you will, in this tunnel. And to say, what's ahead is a catastrophic collapse of the environment that will lead to the deaths and untold billions of people may die as the result of a of a uh, trajectory of just destruction of the planet blind blind ecocide blind uh, the domination of nature which were promised by uh, these uh, salvationist religions is wrong we cannot dominate nature, and it's right. taken us 2,000 years of trying to realize that the back, backlash, to pardon the illusion, yeah. is going to be pretty strong. Yeah. <laughs> Every week we know more, and uh, it sounds more and more like uh, this is a path we need to be embarked on. And uh, Well, I want to thank you very much for being here on Weekly Signals. The book is Not in His Image. The author is John Lash, um, and uh, thank you very much. Well, thank you both. It's been short but sweet. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals.